to another episode of the Worldwide Wednesday Podcast. I'm your host, Sovereign. And I'm Shiny. And today, we have we have a bit to talk about. This week was actually kind of slow in terms of, like, big news, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. I mean, last week we talked about an hour about DC Fandom, which was, which took up probably a... It was more, half the podcast. It was half of the podcast, so... <laughs> We're not going to have any big segments like that today, but we do have quite a bit to talk about, including some stuff that uh, came out today and just things that we've learned more about as time has pe- uh, progressed throughout the week. Yeah. So the first topic, I mean, it's in all caps. It's the first thing on there. The Buzz Lightyear movie. Now. So that's what you want to talk about first, huh? I mean, I don't know what to say about the fact that this exists. So, uh, where do I where do I even begin with this? Because mind you, this dropped less than twelve hours ago. This I know this dropped right in the middle of lunchtime, and I was when I first saw the uh, thumbnail for it, I was beyond baffled. I I'm still baffled at the fact that they're doing it. I mean, the last time we got like any type of like visual media about Buzz Lightyear that spun off from the Toy Story series was the old cartoon of Buzz Lightyear and Star Command, which was a great TV show, but, like, that was over 20 years ago. I didn't even know that that one existed until just today. It's a great show. It's it's so old, though. I mean, it came out in... It came out in October, actually. It came out October of 2000, so it's over 21 years old. But to bounce back to the main topic here, I mean, the fact that they got Chris Evans for this, what do you think of that? I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, Chris Evans is a hot a hot commodity right now. And, I mean, he's just bouncing from one Disney project to another. And seeing as how he went from one, like, soldier-type character to a uh, sort of soldier-type character with Buzz Lightyear, he's more of like a... In this movie, it looks like he's more going to be a, an adventurer. Yeah. But... Or I think Chris Evans is going to be a good pick for it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of... Like, this is going to attract all the 90s kids. That's what this serves. Oh, definitely. It's definitely... Um, I don't want to say it's a bait, but it's definitely, like, playing off of the nostalgia for I'm, 90s kids that grew up with Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Buzz Lightyear, and Stark Man. Yeah, I'm hesitant to even call it nostalgia bait, mostly because... It looks like they put a lot of effort in to like change the design around to make it look different from the toy version, but make it look like realistic enough to where it's it would make sense in that in that Pixar animation style. Yeah, I really do like the way it looks. It's really beautiful. Um one of the best like one of the best visual scenes was when the the rocket ship he's on does like a slingshot around the sun. And the way they animated it with the ship going, like, dark, as it's, like, basically just, like, just completely, like, obscured by the fact that the sun is so massive, and then you just see it shoot out. I thought it was, like, really good. Yeah. I want to touch back on the uh, design again, because uh, I, while I was scrolling online, I actually did see a meme someone say, like, oh, here's the new design, and 
below the next panel is like, look at how they've massacred my boy. <laughs> and then I look in the comments and they are all roasting him because of how objectively wrong he is on the design. Yeah, I mean... Because he made it like whoever posted it made the meme like oh yeah this design is objectively bad and then meanwhile the comments are all just tearing into him like no you are wrong this design is actually good yeah and, and that was my initial reaction too because like i do think the design is good and i mean just because of the 90s nostalgia i'm pretty sure a lot of adults are going to be compelled to watch it with people of lesser generations yeah i definitely agree it looks like a really good movie like it looks like it's well thought out in the sense that it doesn't look like it's trying to be too campy or anything it looks like it's genuinely trying to show like this is buzz lightyear before he's space ranger extraordinaire he's young bright eye twinkle in his eyes and he's about to go on a world of adventure with Starkman. especially considering that the toy story franchise is practically over at this point i mean yeah because i mean most people lived through the entire franchise up until the point where they're in college because i mean the third yeah. movie definitely hit a lot of people right at the uh, correct time yeah it did because it was right as most people were about getting ready most people that grew up with the movie were about to go to college pretty much yeah most probably most people who were born a few years before were just about to leave high school in a year or two at that point yeah because it was 2013 that toy story 3 came out if i'm not mistaken yeah and then toy story 4 came out was it 2019 2018 19 i think i, I think it wrong. was 2019 so i think being able to continue that franchise is pretty good i do see some criticism with them like oh, they're just going to take their previous medium and just keep it going rather than making original content. But I do think this is a this is a new I, and original idea. I think this is original content because the only, so far from what we've seen, the only connection to Toy Story is the existence of Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, because in-universe, in it was just a show. Yeah. And, and then the toy was spawned off from that show. Yeah. Now, do you think we're going to see Zerg in the movie? Uh, given that it's an origin story, it's an it, it, we might see like a cameo, but I'm not expecting too much. Yeah, I don't if if this is a movie that could potentially spawn a sequel, I think they'd save Zerg for the sequel cuz this very much looks like if it gets a sequel too. Yeah, I mean, if it gets a sequel, I mean, th this movie is made by Pixar, so you know it's going to be quality. Yeah, because Pixar really hasn't, they really haven't done anything really that bad. It mostly, actually, was Cars Disney or, or Pixar? Cars was Pixar. Okay, so and Cars 2 was not good. Yeah, I mean, that that movie literally set the studio back a decade. but Enough so that when Cars 3 came out, they ignored the entirety of Cars 2. Yeah, but I don't want to dive too deep into my hatred of certain animation because I don't want to be involved with that community. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> but I don't want to seem like I'm too invested because that community can get outraged over practically anything. Yeah, don't, don't mess with people's animation. <laughs> um, but I definitely think that, circling back, that this movie isn't going to have like an overarching big bad 
in the way of like a typical like hero's journey type movie that it's mainly going to be focused on like exploration and just like the trials that come with like exploring as a space ranger right right i think this is buzz lightyear before he's buzz lightyear of star command like this is going to be before he becomes well known enough and a hero yeah this is going to be him when he's like not a recruit but like a trainee or someone that just finished training yeah and then some of the scenes in the trailer kind of gave off like a like a like there was one scene in particular it gives off kind of a star wars vibe one scene kind of looks eerily familiar to dagobah oh yeah definitely i know which one you're talking about yeah but i'm actually not too concerned about it ripping off star wars in any way if anything it probably because the plots aren't even all that similar based I mean, with the trailer, we barely got any information on it, except from things that are very surface level. But I don't think I see that concern with this movie as far as it relying too heavily on, like, Disney's experience with Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, there was in Toy Stories 2 where they had the whole, like, I'm your father buzz. But I think that was more of, like, a joke, and I don't think they're going to really pull that with this. Because, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen Buzz Lightyear in Star Command, but I don't think that one had too, too many Star Wars references in its run. But I could be wrong. It's been well, years since I've seen that. Well, that's all on you, because I have not seen a second of that show. Literally, like I said before, I only learned about that show today. Yeah. I mean, I I remember watching it as a kid, and I remember I had fun watching it. Maybe in the lead-up to this movie, I'll go back and rewatch Buzz Lightyear and Star Command and see how... The characterization between Toy Story Buzz, uh, the cartoon Buzz, and this Buzz kind of line up. Yeah. I I think that'll be pretty good. Um, yeah. What do you think of the possibility, now that this is a thing, that there could be movies like, say, Woody's Roundup as like an actual movie with Woody, Jesse, The Prospector? Um, See, for me, that would kind of be pushing it because then that would validate the argument that they're just pulling un- unoriginal content because but they- is it unoriginal if it's just the characters in name only because they can make them entirely new characters in terms of personality and the world they're set in that that is fair but i mean more in like i think that that would be like the lot li- like the line that would they would be right on the threshold of crossing that line because if they do a third one past that, then people would actually be outraged with within reason. Yeah, but I don't think there's any other, like, um... Yeah, I mean, even in Pixar properties themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, do you think the three small little aliens are going to show up in Lightyear? It's inevitable. I think they'll probably be, like... I think they'll have, like, a, a cameo appearance... But they will be marketed to hell. Because those things were so marketable for Toy Story. Oh god, I mean, I would not mind them replacing Minions right now. Okay, to be perfectly honest here, no one talks about Minions anymore. Facebook moms talk about Minions. Okay, but I'm on Facebook more than you, and I don't see Minions as much. Do you talk to Facebook moms? I have Facebook moms on my feed. Okay. Like... When was the last time, like, any type of Despicable Me content even came out? I think the last thing was the Minions movie. Well, I don't even think that's relevant. But 
we're getting into a tangent that isn't even relevant to what we're talking about. Fair, but <laughs> I, I think the three aliens, if they do show up, are definitely going to be like something they're going to market to kids again because those guys were popular when they appeared in Toy Story 2. Uh, I, I, you know what? I think they're going to have a shot-for-shot -shot replica. Just rem like change the settings around to the exact same toy crane seen in the first uh, Toy Story movie. Oh. Maybe. Now that I would actually be on board with. That could be pretty interesting, actually. Depending on how they go about it, that could actually be pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, overall, though, this movie looks beautiful visually. Um, I'm interested to see how the score is going to be for this movie. Because Pixar movies usually have decent music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the... I forget what was last. Was Coco Pixar or Disney? Coco. I believe that was also Pixar. No! Soul. Soul was Pixar. Okay. Yeah, I would have to double check that because, I mean, yeah, Soul was Pixar and I know that was a heavily music-based movie. Yeah, Soul was so good. Have you seen it? I have not seen it yet. You're really missing out. That movie was really good. It was actually very short, though. Would you say that it was pretty similar to, like, Inside Out? Because Loki Inside Out was one of my favorites. Um, no. I actually wouldn't say it's similar to Inside Out because... I mean in quality. Oh, in terms of quality, yes. Yeah. In terms of story or characters or any type of no, like yeah, I guess, I guess I the concept have... of souls and the concepts of feelings are two distinct things, and they're pretty unique. And I really like it. Yeah, I guess I should have clarified my question there on that. <laughs> yeah, but overall, um, Lightyear, I think it's gonna be good. Yep, yep. It's the correct kind of nostalgia bait. <laughs> yeah. Low key though. I do think if they do a Woody's Roundup, it could be good. It could be good. I... Alright, I'll buy it, but I feel like this concept that they're working with now has the most potential. Oh yeah, definitely. Buzz Lightyear. Because, I mean, it's kind of true. Space toys above cowboy toys? Yeah, especially considering our current political climate, how cowboys are interpreted now. I mean, I wasn't even thinking that. I was more thinking about the fact that most superhero movies nowadays have, like, a huge space component. The sequel trilogy, for as middling of quality as it was, still made gangbusters because the concept of space is interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, what space properties do we have now? Because recently... Star Do Wars. Star Wars. Star Gar Trek is still a thing. Guardians of the Galaxy. Dune just came out, and that's pulling massive numbers. Yeah. There's there's another space thing that I was thinking of that also was doing well. That also was going to do well. But overall, though, I think this is going to be good. And I definitely think it was better to choose Buzz if they were going to choose anyone from Toy Story. I mean, yeah, this one had like the most potential out of anything. Yeah, and especially because they kind of have a proof of concept with the cartoon. In the sense that there is like a solo Buzz property that already exists. Yeah. That they could pull from. Yeah. Well, moving on to our next topic, let's talk about uh, all of the Pokemon-related news that we just recently got in the past week. Yeah. Which will be a continuation of what we talked about last week with uh, the uh, found footage that we got last week. They actually released a new version of it, cleaned it all up so you can actually uh, interpret everything that was on screen, rather than it just be static throughout the whole thing and it cutting out 
here and there, we actually managed to get uh, two new uh, Pokemon forms. Yeah, so we got Hisuian Zorua and Hisuian Zorark, which are great. Unfortunately, I was wrong. It's not Puchiana. Yeah. Puchiana will forever stay in the depths of irrelevancy. Yeah. I mean, everyone was predicting that it was Zorark. The, seven, yeah. the 706, 707 hint that they gave out was kind of a tell. Yeah. It, in hindsight, it definitely was. And honestly... Actually, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think. Is that even their numbers? Because I, I think... So, so 706 and 707, national decks-wise, is, is Gudra and Klefki. But in the Unova decks... Zorua is 76, and Zorark is 77. Okay. Yeah, national decks-wise, it does. it's not as relevant. Because I was about to say, that would be Jet 6 or 7. Yeah, no. 706 and 707, national decks-wise, is Gudra and Klefki. Okay. Now, now that makes more sense. Yeah. Because I, I was going on on that tangent, and then I stepped back, wait a minute. That doesn't sound right, but now that that... Because... Pretty much everyone was expecting, like, the fan art for Hisui and Zora and Zorark before the final reveal yeah. was everywhere. Really, the big tell was the round eyes, because out of all of the fox and dog-like Pokemon, what do yeah. you associate with round eyes? It's yeah, Zora. Zora. And I actually learned this, that there's been this um, Chinese Riddler leak that has come out. And this is the same person that, back in the day when... um. I believe it was Sun and Moon came out. He had leaked a whole bunch of accurate stuff. I believe he was the one that actually leaked the anime stills that showed Ash and Mallow with Incineroar. And this was back before we even knew what the final stage is. We didn't even know what the middle stage is for the Alolan starters looked like. And this one straight up showed what Incineroar looked like. So it's the same guy. And he was doing a riddle. He, he posted like, you know how people do out of context spoilers and a bunch of random pictures? So he's doing that with this, with uh, Pokemon Legends Arceus, and a bit of Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl. But for the riddle for this was a picture from One Piece, and it was the characters of Zoro and Perona. Now, I'm a huge One Piece fan, and so the riddle was basically Zoro because Zorark, but also because Zoro and Zorark are normal ghost type, Zoro is like a normal person while Perona she is uh she was on the haunted um she's on the haunted ship thriller bark which has a whole like spooky halloween theme going on within one piece so it was a pretty good hint especially if you're a fan of one piece you were pretty much able to pick it up okay which also transitions to the next part of it it's the typing for the two new po pokemon forms yeah a uh, normal ghost which uh it's a phenomenal typing. Yeah, which means that it's only weak to dark types. Yeah, it's only weak to dark. It has three immunities in normal ghost and fighting, and two resistances in the form of bug and poison. Yeah, which pretty much nullifies the um, the opposite typing super effective uh, hits. Yep. So, with a dark type... I mean, Generation 8 so far has been the generation for ghost types. Since pursuit has been since pursuit has been removed, you have Spectrier, Dragapult, Gengar, Chandelure. You have ghost types that are just on um, Alolan Marowak. They're able to just like run wild throughout the metagame. And now 
pursuing in Zoroark is probably going to join join that in terms of if it has similar stats but just switched around so it maybe has better defenses and a decent like attacking stat or maybe probably be good yeah i was about to say maybe it prioritizes more of a physical attack rather than a special attacker because i know that's pretty common among zoroark uh, sets yeah most zoroark are special attackers but maybe it is physical attacking because i mean it's probably going to have a the signature move. And maybe the signature move is throwing out like a shadow like beast that like physically hits you. Like the shadow beast that came out to the guy that was filming them. Yeah. Are we still convinced that guy is dead? So everyone says that you can hear his footsteps running away. I choose to believe that he is dead, considering that the lore and if you looked on the Pokemon Company website, the lore for Zorua and Zoroark, in terms of their Hisuian forms, is that Zorua and Zoroark came to Hisui after being attacked by humans in another region, and then come into this region, the Zoruas couldn't really survive the environment as they were hurt not just by people, but by other Pokemon. Right. So, and then Zoroark is, it's a evolved form, and it's very protective over Zoroas, and it's a very violent Pokemon. So I like to believe, lore-wise, it definitely killed him, as it's in keeping with how territorial it is. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it wasn't his footsteps. I mean, who knows? I mean, some people say it was his footsteps running away. Maybe that's just his body, like, hitting the ground and kind of rolling a bit. Who knows? We never see him again. We'll probably never see him again. I mean, it's just a trailer, so... Yeah. Probably just random NPC 43, so... Yeah. But overall, I, I really liked it. I also did like the neat tidbit that the reason the video was at staticky at first was because it was recently found in present-day Canalave City. And so then they called Professor Oak, which is actually pretty funny because in Platinum, Professor Oak is in Sinnoh. He has a... He has on my... House in Eterna City. Right. So it would make sense they could call Oak he's to come the, to Canalave. Because in Platinum, he's the one that uh, leads you to the three Canto birds, right? Yeah, he leads three Canto birds, and he's a part of the the Shaman event, in the sense that the way to access, the, I believe, the, I think it's the Sebring, not Sebring path, um, the Flower path, whatever it is that you can use to find Shaman, you need Oak's letter. Right. That's the item you need to access Shaman in uh, Diamond Pearl Platinum. So it makes sense that Oak would be the person that they would call to Canale City to fix the Arceus phone. So I thought that bit of lore was just like a neat little tidbit about the fact that, yeah, Oak's, Oak's in Sinnoh. Yeah. yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, switching gears from Legends Arceus, we could talk about Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl and the new trailer that came out. Yeah, that came out in the past day, if I'm not mistaken. It came out about two minutes before the Assyrian Zora and Zora trailer that dropped today. Okay. Yeah, that was... I mean, not today, yesterday. Okay. Yeah, it was a pretty good trailer. I mean, pretty much it shows everything that anybody who's a, a fan of Gen 4 would already know. Not really any new information. Mostly geared to... It really seems like it was more geared to people who've never played it before. Oh, yeah. It definitely gave the vibe that this is for, like, the newer players... Kind of like how they advertise the remakes of other games. 
Like, um, I, I, I saw it akin to how they show off Remix to, like, the Final Fantasy games. In the sense that, like, veteran players know all this information, but this is for the new players. Yeah. And Which, that might just be a marketing scheme with all remakes. Yeah. Um, I do like the models for Team Galactic, for um, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and Cyrus. Right. What do you think of uh, Chibi Cyrus and the fact he has no nose? <laughs> I was still get o- getting over the fact he has no eyebrows. <laughs> Wait. He doesn't. Did he have eyebrows in the original? I'm pretty sure he did. Oof. Either way, I, I, they looked like Super Saiyan 3 eyebrows, and I was like, that kind of put me off a bit. <laughs> That's what caught my attention from that. I saw that. See, the thing with... See, I just like the way that he looks, because he's just, like, default, like... He's, like, the default, like mean face character but just seeing him in like a chibi style just i don't know i find it hilarious yeah um which yeah. i was never opposed to the chibi style but honestly the more i look at it the more i welcome it yeah we also got to see um volkner and candace yeah which okay so there's been a lot of discourse surrounding the fact that volkner when because so far when they've showed off the gym leaders, they've shown their, or not just gym leaders, any major character in the trailer, they show their aces. Now, in Diamond and Pearl, Volkner's ace was Luxray, but in Platinum, his ace was Electivire. For Brilliant, Diamond, and Shannon Pearl, they show that his ace is Luxray. So some people are fearing he's going to have his Diamond and Pearl team, where it's a Raichu, an Ambipom, an Artillery, and then <laughs> Luxray. Instead of the Jolteon Raichu, Electivire, and Luxray. So yeah. what do you think? Do you think that they're actually going to go and pull Octillery and Ambipom? Because what was the main difference between the teams besides Octillery? What did they replace them with? They replaced Octillery with Jolteon and Ambipom with Electivire. Yeah. Honestly, there's enough there to fix that. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean... Maybe they do it as a joke, but I, I don't see I, I don't know. Because some people are also fearing, because it wasn't just Volkner that suffered from not having enough Pokemon of his um, type. Candace used a Metacham. Uh, Bertha used a Sudorudo. And infamously, Flint used a Lopany, Drifflim, and a Steelix, despite being the Fire-type gym, um, Elite Four member. <laughs> So, some people are really afraid that they're taking, um, that they're taking it literal when they say that this is going to be, like, a, like, one-to-one. Uh, honestly, I don't mind if it is. But, in terms of team structure, I don't think they're gonna go for it. Because they've already shown Pokemon that weren't in the original Diamond Pearl Platinum decks. I mean, you can find Sentrits in the Underground. And Sentret is... Not only a Pokemon you can't catch um, normally in the Diamond and Pearl decks, you couldn't even catch it normally in the Platinum decks until after the main game. And I think it was only during swarms in a specific route. Like, it was very rare to find a Sentry in the wild, yet you can find it in the underground now. Do you think they're going to use um, Diamond, Diamond and Pearl, um, the remakes, do you think they're going to use that game to... Filter in the rest of the missing Pokemon from Gen 8? I think so. 
Yeah. Because, I mean, most of the... I mean, there's only some Pokemon that would be missing after... Uh, we'd be missing some Gen 5 Pokemon, like... I believe it's, like, Deerling and Sawsbuck. Some Gen 7 Pokemon, like, Crabominable. But we'd be getting back Pokemon, like, Gliscor. We'd be getting, um... What's its name? There is another Pokemon that I am just forgetting. That's from Sinnoh. Oh, the Sinnoh starters, obviously. Like Gliscor, the Sinnoh starters, the Mythicals, Manaphy, Darkrai, Shaman, Arceus. I mean, I, we could even get Deoxys, probably. I'm just waiting to transfer over my shiny chat on. That was my first shiny. Really? Yeah. All my shinies. Uh, all my shinies that were, like, of note are in the game. I think, like, one of the only shinies I, I haven't sent over is, like, my shiny superior. Yeah, because I got a shiny... Because I... The frustrating part is keeping your shiny Pokemon in Pokemon Home and then not being able to transfer them over. Because I've got both a shiny Chatot and a shiny Infernape ready to go, and they're just sitting there. Yeah. Hopefully they'll be brought up back. I mean, we know there's going to be Pokemon Home support. Yeah. So, um, one thing. Do you think we're going to get new forms for Dialga and Palkia? In this oh. game or Legends Arceus? I would prioritize them in, in the remakes, honestly. I think because we probably will get a new form for Dialga and Palkia. Because we did get the Primal Reversions and... Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. I think we may get something like... Because there's a leak going around that says we will probably get Origin form Dialga and Palkia using their Adamant and Lustrous Orbs, a la Giratina with the Greasius Orb. Hmm. Which, I mean... Could be interesting. It could be interesting. I mean, who's to say that Dialga and Palkia, when they're in our world, are at the same level of power as they would be in their own home dimension? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then in Pokemon Legends Arceus, there's the rumor going on that there's going to be an Arceus form. And better be a combination of all 17 plates, I swear. It's got to happen. Yeah. The theory goes that, like, every move that it, I think, like, there's this one move that it'll use that will always do normal damage, regardless of what type it is. Hmm. Or we finally get to see what it looks like with its thousand hands. Some people are thinking that it, the beta Arceus, back from when the Diamond Pearl beta leaked, is going to be the form. Really? I haven't had a look at that one. Um, it's creepy. Does it have a thousand hands? Because if it doesn't, I'm not interested. Well, then, yeah. It doesn't have a thousand hands, but it's like... Because they specifically bring that up in the Pokedex multiple times, and I want to see what Arceus looks like with a thousand hands. Okay, I think that was a figure of speech. Because I believe the hands are in reference to the unknown, as unknowns are spawned whenever Arceus shows up. And I think the unknowns are symbolic of its hands. That's not as fun. That's not as fun, and I reject that, um, that symbology. I reject it wholeheartedly. Fine. <laughs> reject the lore. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, so do you think we may get an Arceus, um form in Pokemon Legends Arceus. I'd be down for it. It, it. Based on how they've been handling most, um, re like the most recent remake, I think it'll happen. Yeah. 
So there's so like I said that there's a leak going around. The leak is saying Dunsparce gets a Hisuian form. Good. We've been asking for a, a Dunsparce evolution for the longest time. Except it's not a dragon. It's going to be a steel type. Well, that would be interesting, actually. Yes. Considering that it has that pathetic little drill for a tail. <laughs> so I can actually see it. Imagine this new Dunsparce thing. is A new Dunsparce form is a thing. You transfer it to Sword and Shield, and it's like an uber-level Pokemon. Like, not just uber-level Pokemon in singles, it's also like Incineroar at Landris level in doubles. I mean, it is... For, the, for one of the most pathetic Pokemon in existence... It is unreasonably rare. Yeah. It is actually kind of rare. I remember, actually, yeah, in Fire Red and Leaf Green, the only way you could catch Dunsparce was if you helped some random guy on, I think, Three Island tunnel his way across the island so he can find this one rare patch of grass with Dunsparce in it. And I'm I'm pretty sure, like, in the wild, it has less than a 10% uh, uh... Chance. Chance to find it. You're right. So, I would welcome it just because of how they've handled him in the past, and just how unreasonable the reward is for trying to find one. Yeah. What do you think of the possibility of getting new evolutions for uh, Oshawott, Cyndaquil, and Rowlet? Now, that is something I have never thought about. Is that really something going around? Yeah, so people are believing that we're going to get a Water Dark, like, final form for Oshawott, a Fire Ghost type for Cyndaquil, and a Grass Flying. I believe it's Grass. No. Grass grass Flying, I think? Grass Fighting! Grass Fighting! Grass Fighting for uh, Rowlet. See, that I'm, le- I'm more hesitant to accept. I, I don't know. Split evolutions for starters. I'm well. It, I would have to see it once in order to accept it. But taking it in months before the game comes out, I cannot visualize it. Like on one hand, I am excited because I like. On one hand, I want it to happen because I like the addition of new Pokemon because I always like to see how they'll just end up in a meta game, just to see like no matter how like because meta games change significantly just by the addition of potentially like one pokemon like black and white 2 got warped the moment keldeo showed up so like i would love to see like new starters but on the other hand it would then open the door for a whole bunch of pokemon to now get new uh split evolutions because yeah but on the other hand game freak isn't shy from prioritizing certain Pokemon within the starters of getting special forms. I mean, Charizard gets two Megas, Blaziken got his Mega first, Greninja gets Ash Greninja, and yeah, so, yeah. And plus Typhlosion, Samurott, and... Typhlosion and Samurott aren't as popular as Decidueye. So, they, they, I mean, Samurott especially, so they deserve some love. I think it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, they also say that there's going to be a Hisuian, Entei Raikou, and Suicune, kind of following in the path of the Galarian, Articuno, Zapdos, and Moltres. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? 
See, that is pushing expectations a bit high, in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. it would be cool, mostly because, again, we got the Galarian uh, birds um, this gen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, again, if it comes out, it'll probably be pretty good, but I just can't see it happening. Yeah, that one that one is pushing it in my eyes. Like, the Dunsparce, I could see. The Starters, I could see. The Legendary Dogs, though? Yeah, because, I mean, who was expecting Basque Legion? Yeah, no one was expecting Basque Legion. No one was expecting Weirder or Cleavor or even Hisuian Braviary. Speaking of which, do you think we'll get a Hisuian Mandibuzz? They are counterparts. That, yeah. Yeah, I would take it. But then again... Because what typing yeah. is uh, Hisuian Braviary? I believe it's Psychic Flying. Okay. So it's like Sigilyph. Hmm. What typing do you think it could be if we do get one? Um, I think it'd still be a flying type, but... Pretty maybe, much, yeah. Maybe it would be like... Maybe rock? Maybe. Maybe it would be the... Yeah, maybe rock. Maybe fighting. I mean, what types would vultures be? I could only really see him being like... Rock or rock, ground? Rock, ground, or maybe fight, Maybe fighting, but mainly rock or ground flying types. Um, oh yeah, what do you think of the platinum clothes being available in Brilliant Diamond Shining Pro? It's a small touch that we didn't need, but honestly, as someone who played platinum first, I do appreciate it. Yeah. Wait, you didn't play Diamond and Pearl first? No, platinum was my first game. Oh, my first game was Diamond. Really? Yeah. Uh, because when I was in middle school, Gen 4 was the new hotness. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, and then the, uh, Hisuian Zoroark mask in Legends Arceus. Huh. You didn't see it? I did not see that. Yeah, you can get it. It's a similar pre-order bonus for, uh, like, the Platinum clothes. Okay. I think it's pretty cool, and I'll probably have my character wear it. Okay. Yeah. But overall... I'm looking forward to these two games. I think that they're going to be pretty good. Like, I think Brilliant Down Shining Pearl, Shining Pearl is going to be solid. Maybe not surpassing the likes of Heart Gold, Soul Silver, in the eyes of the fans, but I think it'll be solid. But Legends Arceus, I think it's really going to break the mold. Yeah. Especially, I do want to reflect your opinions on Diamond and Pearl because. Everyone's been hyping this game. This is a lot of people's first game, and I think people are setting their expectations way too high. I mean, this is probably going to be an amazing game, yeah. regardless of people's opinions going in, but I am afraid of the backlash due to people setting their expectations really yeah. high for a game that they can still play. Yeah. And I mean, some people really just want the platinum elements being incorporated, which I think there probably will be. Like, they probably would, probably, because I believe the Diamond and Pearl Battle Frontiers only had, like, the Battle Tower. Yeah. And then Platinum added the four additional uh, yeah. Frontier facilities. Yeah. And there are some Platinum aspects that we've seen, such as um, the ship, the Grisadia Flower Lady is in Floroma Town, and also... Despite the galactic building in Eterna City looking like the Diamond and Pearl variant, the picture is missing in the top left corner because in Platinum, that's where you can find the room with um, the Rotom appliances. 
And in platinum, the picture was missing. So potentially they will still have them. Because you can't really you can't really leave out the Rotom forms. Yeah, you really can't. Unless they want to make you find it in the old chateau, and dear god, I don't like going in there because of the two fucking ghosts. <laughs> yes, I know they're sprites, but dear god, they're still fucking creepy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then also uh, the Pow Park. Pow Park has a new design on the map. There's a bunch of caves and huts you can go into, which... Because before, the Pow Park was a way to bring in Pokemon from the GBA games. Yeah, but now that Pokemon Home exists... And you can send Pokemon from Pokemon Go into Pokemon Home. What is the Pow Park going to be? Because you can't turn it into an another Safari Zone. I think it's going to be a wild area type place. That would be interesting because the... I forget which town it's in, but the Safari Zone... Astoria exists. City. That was it. Yeah, the Safari Zone exists and... Uh, my opinions on that are mixed. <laughs> what, you didn't like the Safari Zone? They're always mixed experiences. Fair. I will say the Sinnoh Safari Zone was definitely sometimes hit or miss because of how often you can get stuck in the marsh. See, I wasn't even bothered by that, but that is a, a small element of my disdain for it. I, the one thing I hope they do improve is the walking through snow. Because getting to Snowpoint City in Gen 4 is one of the biggest drags on the planet because you can just get stuck in snow. You gotta wiggle your character out, take two steps, get stuck in snow again. <laughs> and then a trainer stops you. And then you finally get out of the snow, and you get ambushed by like a hundred snowbird. Yeah, it definitely was a hassle to get over there. Yeah. Overall, I'm excited for these games. I probably will pick them up on release date, as is my tradition of getting Pokemon games on release date ever since Black and White 2. Yeah, so I think we're done with that topic. Um, so I do want to touch on one thing that that uh, recently came up in in the Marvel sphere. Yeah, the new Quantum Mania logo and how ridiculous it looks. <laughs> it's a bunch of scribbles. Like it, it's a bunch of scribbles in circles with a, the occasional double circle or line running through it, and. It's it's written in like a hieroglyphics like oh like you would see in like galactic sci-fi movies. Yeah. Like there's some like secret society language that they're trying to uh like market here and there. But this is the quantum realm. Are we gonna find a secret society in the quantum realm? Is that what this is all about? I mean, in the comics, Kang has a city in the quantum realm called Chronopolis. And in um Ant-Man and the Wasp, when uh, Hank goes into the Quantum Realm, it does actually look like there is a city in the background, and Peyton Reed has mentioned that there is a city in the Quantum Realm. So, the Chronopolis may be there, and they may create a language for it, because, what is it? They have one, they, they made the Wakandan language, they made the Skrull language, they made the Kree language, I think Sokovian as well. So it it would be in keeping with Marvel to keep creating new languages. But see, they had a perfectly good logo. And they were marketing it all throughout the beginnings of Phase 4. And then they change it this past week, and everyone's trashing it. So 
I will say one thing is that this logo is only found on the chairs that you can find on set, which notably the chairs on the different Marvel movies have different logos than the actual professional logos. Like the Deadpool one has Deadpool Ajax on it, while the Black Panther one has Black Panther and the P has like a panther claw in it. But those did not make any appearances as the actual logos in most of the marketing. So I think this is more along the lines of a potential, like someone snapped a picture of, hey, hey, funny thing, look. And people are like, what the hell is this? Because we've actually seen high quality images of it, like uses actual marketing material. Yeah. So of the new one? Yeah, of the new logo. Well, now I I don't know why. Scribbles! It's just a bunch of scribbles! Like, someone tried to erase the scribbles and write over it Quantumania, and it still looks bad. Oh, yeah, I did see someone do that, and... Yeah, I mean... Artistically, if it's supposed to represent, like, the quantum realm language, it's cool, but visually and stylistically... When we know nothing about this movie... Uh, yeah. I feel like if they wanted to make it public, they should have at least saved it until after we get a trailer. Yeah, because I'm hesitant to to think that it's just, like, on the set chairs, because we do have high-quality images of this logo. Yeah. We do. But overall, I do think that the logo is... <laughs> I just can't help. I Every time I see it, I just think of a bunch of squiggly lines in just circular shape. And mind you, like, it's not actually, like, squiggly lines. It's actually, like, very well drawn and, like, very, like, professionally made. Like, it's definitely high quality. It's just, you know. It's illegible. Yeah. Like, the only reason you know it's Quantumania is because we got the title of Quantumania. Like, literally, like, your average uh, cinema-goer is going to go to... Is going to go and is going to be confused. Like, didn't we watch Ant-Man and the Wasp four years ago? Because they just see a bunch of circles underneath the title. (laughs) Speaking of Ant-Man and the Wasp, what do you think about the fact that Bill Murray has been confirmed for Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah, I did hear of that recently, and that's pretty interesting. They're... They are pulling a lot of big-name actors for these uh, movies. I find it funny how he was like, I'm in a comic book movie for Marvel, and I'm not going to name the name of the movie, but I really like the director's previous work, like Step It Up, and we're like, Peyton Reed made Step It Up. You're in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So it's that. like, 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 I won't name names, but I will definitely name names. It seems like he's only going to be in it just for this movie, so it's probably going to be like a one-off character. But, I mean, getting Bill Murray in it is pretty big. Because I mean, yeah. Bill Murray isn't really, interested, isn't really someone that's interested, interested in comic book movies. Yeah, because even the last time he was in... Last time he was even in a big series was Ghostbusters, right? I can't remember any bigger... He was in Zombieland. Was it... The original. He's in the original okay. Zombieland. It was actually pretty. You have you seen the original Zombieland? I have not. <laughs> so, do you want me to tell you what Bill Murray was in the movie? 
Yeah. So in the movie, Bill Murray is so Zombie Land is obviously the zombie apocalypse. So basically, the group of survivors they make it to Bill Murray's house, and Bill Murray has actually been hiding in the mansion pretending to be a zombie so people wouldn't show up, and he'd been doing it for a long time. And so Woody Harrelson's character sees him and he's like oh my god you're bill murray i love you so much and like it's going all well like everyone's like woody harrelson's like losing his mind he's so happy and like (laughs) bill murray is just like doing his thing and then i believe i believe it's jesse eisenberg that's in the movie jesse eisenberg's character sees bill murray and he shoots him dead because he thinks he's a zombie because in the movie, Bill Murray has, like, a zombie disguise on, but, like, he takes it off. But he was wearing the zombie disguise, and um, Jesse Eisenberg's character just, like, guns him down. And he's like, you killed Bill Murray! No! And he's uh, like, oh, so he, Bill Murray's dead! Oh, so he wasn't even, like, cast as a character. He was playing himself. Yes, it was Bill Murray as Bill Murray. See, I was confused when you first brought that up, because... I actually saw Bill Murray two years ago in another zombie movie called The Dead Don't Die. Oh my god. So, uh, I I guess he's just got a thing for zombie movies? He has a thing for the undead. Whether it be ghost or zombie, Bill Murray's there. And then, of course, the tenuous link between the Quantum Realm and the What If Zombies episode. That's a a stretch, but I'm gonna put it there. What if... What if... What if... Bill Murray plays a zombie that Kang is experimenting on in Quantumania. <laughs> what if, man? We've taken this joke way too far. It's not a joke if it's a possibility. We know zombies come from the quantum realm. <laughs> okay, but I think Bill Murray is probably going to... Whatever he is in this movie, he's probably going to be hilarious. Yeah. But... <laughs> God. Overall, scribbles. Stop with the scribbles, please. It, it, at, le- at least touch them up so they're a bit more legible. Because at this point, we're just memeing on it, and everyone's trashing it. Yeah. So, uh, let's move on to our next topic. Um, we've got a lot of serious topics coming up. I'm trying to figure out which one we should do first because we got three uh, big ones that kind of all link together. I think, actually, well, two of them do. I two think, of them do. Let's touch on the 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 one that doesn't. So the Alec Baldwin incident on the set of Rust. Yeah. So for those who aren't familiar, recently, uh, there during filming of the movie Dust, the uh, actor and producer Alec Baldwin, uh, shot the uh, head cinematographer for, the, uh, for the movie and. And I believe one other person ended up killing them in the process. Um, so he killed the cinematographer, Miss Hutchinson, and I, he injured the director. I don't think it was the director. Uh, let me let me double check. I know that the cinematographer that um passed away was um her name was um Hutchinson. Uh, let me check really quickly i don't want to be wrong on the 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 the, um injured so while i look that up you um describe the rest of the so this has pretty much been a huge uh shake-up for a while because despite happening last thursday a lot of investigations have been going into it because 
really we don't know a lot about what happened because people are or because the police are still trying to investigate if there was even a live round inside the prop gun that was used because typically because they uncovered uh both blanks um and live ammunition there yeah. so they're trying to figure out like was this an actual uh, like was there any malintent because in all fairness i don't really want to blame alec baldwin for this yeah so um the name of the cinematographer is uh i'm Hel- sorry if, helena i think it's helena but her name is spelled h-a-l-y-n-a and i'm really sorry if i butcher her name but uh helena hutchins um she unfortunately passed away due to being shot and then um the director joel souza was also um hit he was hit in the shoulder and he is um he has been released he is fine but obviously it's still sad that he was injured as well as witnessing a colleague pass away right because really this should not have happened and this this also compounds on the yahtzee strike with workers complaining about unsafe working conditions exactly and there are even calls from state senators for a complete ban in the state of California for um, live uh, weapons on yeah. sets. Mind you, this took place in Santa Fe, New Mexico. But, I mean, ever since the 1993 um, accidental death of Brandon Lee, um, Brandon Lee being the son of actor and martial artist Bruce Lee, um, Brandon Lee tragically died on the set of the movie the Crow, where he was accidentally shot with a prop gun that actually had an actual bullet in it, and it killed him. And that happened in 1993, and you would think that nearly 30 years now, after Brandon Lee's passing, we would have gotten through, we would have been able to get past this, but I'm afraid we're not. And it's not like this was an isolated incident. It was stated before that there were other incidences of the prop gun going off when it wasn't supposed to, on the set of Rust. Meaning that whoever was in charge of the gun really should have been on their toes when, like, examining it. Because Because based on the police report, it was both the armorer and the assistant director who were were supposed to take responsibility for whether or not the uh, prop guns were loaded with live ammo or with blanks. Yeah, and I mean, the assistant director even... while giving Alec Baldwin the gun, said it was a cold gun, meaning that it's it's safe. It's yeah. not live. It has nothing in it, but he was wrong. And also, one thing to correct is that it's not a prop gun if it can shoot and kill. Yeah. It's just now a gun. Yeah, which because mo- most of the sources we've looked at have said that these were prop guns, but of course the fact that it shot someone means it- it's, it's now a, a fully functional Done. Yeah. Um, one thing that I saw, one thing that we saw during the press conference hosted by the um, Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office was the fact that they are unsure what projectile was shot out of it. Yeah. But they do consider it a live round, considering the fact that it shot and it did injure people and unfortunately did kill someone i mean mind you it is considered live ammunition mind you blanks are still dangerous yeah blanks and dummy rounds are not 
are obviously they're not as dangerous as a bullet or other projectiles, but they still can kill you. Yeah, they you can certainly still kill someone with those. They are they are certainly not to be messed around with. Anything shot out of a gun has the potential to kill, whether it's a real bullet, whether it's beanbags, rubber bullets, um, pellets, whatever. They can kill you. So, Using guns are always dangerous. So, and, and this is just another example of it. I did want to bring up the the call from the state senate for a complete ban on um, live weapons, which I think is an absolute necessity. Yeah, I think we should. I think at this point, with especially with the advent of mass use of CGI and other forms of visual effects, I really think we should be retiring the use of guns or at least ammunition being used as a practical effect. Like, I do understand. I do understand from the production standpoint that visual effects are far more expensive than practical effects in a lot of ways. And that if you were to make a movie, say, like John Wick, that has a lot of guns and a lot of shooting, that using um, visual effects on every single one of them would be a lot more expensive and time-consuming. Because let's just think about... Yeah. Let's just say... Let's just say for the sake of an example here, they give an actor a gun, and it's just like a um, a plastic carving or like a 3D print of a gun. Yeah. Like, what would go into it? They'd need to CGI the bullet, which they probably do already. They need to do the kickback for the gun, make sure the actor knows how much kickback is supposed to go whenever they shoot, and also the or the kickback or recoil. And then also the gunpowder fly, flying out of the gun. They have a lot to consider. Anything else that comes to mind? Um, no, I think you covered a lot of what would needed to of what would need to be like shown and edited yeah. in this like visible in visual effects for because, a gun without what, ammunition. What comes to mind for me is like as a replacement to live guns, like they they create mechanisms in fake guns where they simulate the recoil of a real gun, but just have no expulsion, no uh ammunition of any kind. It's sealed off, which you can easily edit to make it look like a real gun well the thing is is that there were guns like that like the sheriff department said in the press in the press conference the three weapons that they um confiscated was one the revolver used by alec baldwin and then two other pistols that were completely non-functional as um analyzed by their ballistics and by their ballistic analysis and i believe those results from the FBI crime lab on those two guns also came back and that they're completely non-functional, meaning that if you were to put something in it, it still wouldn't have worked. So there are guns out like that out there, yet the gun that Alec Baldwin used was still um still capable of firing. Right. So really goes to show that this is an issue. I mean, it's dangerous, and especially with many movies a year being made with guns. I mean, look at some of the highest grossing movies that come out. A lot of them are action movies. And we mentioned John Wick. There's John Wick, but I mean, even Marvel movies use guns. DC, Star Wars has guns. Maybe not ones with bullets, but they still have to, you know, carry around prop guns. Yeah, which I don't think that's more of a relevant issue because really the 
the uh, plasma guns they use don't really have any kickback to them anyway, so... Yeah, but even in the case that they do carry prop guns, maybe it's not used, but they're probably there. Yeah. And, I mean, now, I mean, to tie it in with, like, Marvel, I mean, we're getting, like, Hawkeye as a show, and that's gonna have a lot of guns. So, like, yeah. it's very real, the danger for guns to be used in a lot of big-budget things and the potential for it to go wrong. I mean, mind you, we're glad that... No, not glad, but, I mean, only in between 1993 and 2021, only one person, to our knowledge, has died on the set of a movie due to a prop gun, but that's still two people in nearly 30 years, and yeah. you would think that we would have gotten over it back in 1993. And to reflect on what I said at the beginning of the piece, is that... And this is just right after the deal has been made with with the uh, Yahtzee uh, strike, with them complaining about unsafe working conditions. So it's still a lot that needs to be done in this industry in order to make it safe for everyone. Yeah. Um, what do you think any potential um, consequences could come down on Alec Baldwin or any other personnel on the uh, Rust crew? Yeah, because... Mind you, he's still the producer of the movie. I don't... <sighs> I feel like Alec Baldwin, the actor, probably will not get any form of yeah. consequences as Alec Baldwin, as an actor, is not responsible for it. But Alec Baldwin, the producer, I feel could have consequences levied against him. Right. As it is within his purview to ensure that the set is safe. Yeah. He is a producer. And I... I haven't verified this, but I believe he's... Is he anti or pro-gun? I can't remember. I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like this incident, per se, isn't one that would fit within the normal pro-anti-gun dichotomy that we have in American politics, just because this is more of a situation about using guns in, like, production. Not necessarily about restricting gun use in general, you know? Yeah, because... This is more about making making areas safe, and I would feel even the most, like, diehard of conservatives would understand the fact that, like, using guns on a set could be dangerous, especially if not everyone is aware of how it's used or not everyone is aware of the status of the gun, that it's probably just better to ensure that the guns on sets aren't um, de deadly. I feel like that most people, no matter your... Uh, political affiliation in t on this in the gun debate would feel that guns in sets should definitely be restricted to ensure people don't die. Yeah. Because, I mean, actors are actors. They're not people that are trained with guns all the time. Yeah, and you'd really have to question how much training they would get for a set because, I mean, yeah, a lot of actors get a lot of martial arts training and uh, physical training, but gun training? Yeah. I mean, I know, like, Keanu Reeves had a bit of gun training, because he had to do a lot of gun kata. Yeah, and even in The Matrix, too, I believe, right? Oh, yeah, I forgot about The Matrix, yeah. So he definitely has some gun training, but, I mean, the vast majority of actors, like, probably don't, because even ones in action movies, there are some characters in action movies that just straight up don't use guns. Yeah, or even some that are, like, just there for, like, few minutes yeah i mean i think about alec baldwin in mission impossible i don't think alec baldwin in mission impossible used a gun 
So, yeah, like, he probably didn't have gun training for that movie, despite having a bunch of guns. Which, I feel like, at at the very least, they would have, like, a large, like, gun safety, uh, like, seminar or something, at the very least. Because, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're irresponsible, but they're not complete. I wouldn't think that they're completely, like, ignorant of the idea that guns are dangerous. I feel like they would have at least taken the minimal amount of step, but I still think they should go above and beyond for just the safety of everybody on the crew. Yeah, and I think the main issue is not necessarily the gun itself, but the ammunition. Because anything put in a gun can kill you I if mean, fired. Because it's a high it's a a high speed projectile. I mean the 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 biggest safety tip anybody can ever tell you is that a gun is always loaded. Yeah. Don't know like honestly, I think the ammunition I think that's the main culprit here. Yeah. Is that if there's no ammunition in the gun, then I think it's much safer. Like, no dummy rounds, no blanks, no nothing. I think if you just keep a gun, but nothing in it, nothing being able to be shot out of it, I think it will make it a lot more safe. Right. So, <sighs> overall, it's just a tragedy. Yeah. It's really sad because an innocent life, unfortunately, was cut short during a probably a big budget movie that probably would have furthered her career even more. Because I mean, she had a pretty successful career. I think she was like the head cinematographer for some other big movies that, that I don't remember. Yeah, so to the family of Helena Hutchinson, um, we obviously send our condolences and we cannot imagine the strife that is going through you. And obviously, despite uh, uh, Jose um, Souza surviving, I can still only imagine how the injury has damaged him physically and potentially mentally because, I mean, you're a director. You're not expecting to get shot on, on, on a film set. And, yeah. So, and also to Alec Baldwin as well because, I mean, he technically was responsible in the sense that he pulled the trigger and it did result in a death and injury, and I cannot imagine the mental toll that it probably takes on him. Right, yeah, because... That is a lot to take in that you were like the like you were the one that pulled the trigger on it, and we can only imagine how much turmoil he's in, yeah, and not only was he the one who pulled the trigger, but he's also the producer, so if something happened that went wrong and he didn't know about it, it will probably even reinforce like I don't want to armchair psychologist, but I can only imagine the pressure that he's under. On top of the grief. Because most people who both act and produce, these are passion projects for them. And I can only imagine how much of his effort went into this movie. Yeah. So that, I'm also worried about that because this is probably a passion project for him. Because yeah. of the fact that he's both an actor and a producer. Yeah. So overall, it was it's a tragedy. And hopefully things get better. Hopefully we find... We get some regulations passed to keep people safe on movie sets, as they're one of the last places you expect someone to be killed in. Right. Yeah, especially via a prop. But overall, uh, we just hope it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And now moving on to, unfortunately, not too much of a brighter topic either. So this, uh, uh, this segment will serve as a follow-up to a segment we did a few weeks ago on the Facebook files. Um, it's a story we covered where um, 
a bunch of news or a bunch of documents got leaked from Facebook to the Wall Street Journal by and, um, Francis Haugen, who was the whistleblower. Yes, and um, we learned a lot about what happened. The Facebook files mostly covered a lot with uh, election misinformation. Uh, this week, we got a lot of information from the Facebook papers, which was a similar report done by the Associated Press. So um, this one covered a lot more on different topics that were very similar to um, how Facebook manages and uh, traffics their um, their engagement online. So I do want to talk about, first of all, the, um, the anti-vaccine. Um, rhetoric that was spreading like wildfire throughout Facebook. Yeah. So basically, like, they just were completely unable to completely regulate any anti-vaccine rhetoric because when it first po when any instance of vaccine misinfo popped up was back way back in March when yeah when the virus was first hitting the United States. Or, no, 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 March of 2021. Oh, you mean, oh, sorry, vaccine. I thought you meant COVID in general. Yes, vaccine misinformation did start around March of 2021. Mind yes. you, that's when Biden got his first vaccine. Like right around that time frame between January and March yeah. was when people were, when they finally opened up vaccines to the sick and elderly. And by that point, we only had like a small portion of the population vaccinated. And then from there, just all of it flooded in. Yeah. Like, they just refuse to acknowledge anything going on on their website and just refuse to do anything about it. Yeah, and this is um, this is post-election, so this is after the time where Francis Haugen pointed out that Facebook had stopped regulating um, what was going on on the site because, as she mentioned during her interview on 60 Minutes, she talked about the fact that the regulated the regulations and the filters were up during the election to prevent misinformation, but after the election ended, they took it down. Yeah. So this is still post them taking it down, and people internally at Facebook knowing that they could always have it up. All right, because on Twitter they both had warnings for both, if I'm not mistaken, for both election and COVID misinfo. If I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um. Both uh YouTube and Twitter. To and um, TikTok had um election and COVID misinformation. Really, TikTok had had that too. Yeah, I I've seen it a couple times. I saw there was election misinformation on TikTok on some TikToks I watched. Oh, really? Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, but that was one of the big ones, and we we do want to avoid repeating anything we've said two weeks ago when we covered the Facebook files. But um, anything you have to say else to add on to that? I mean, on some level, it's more of what we already knew in the sense that Facebook has been completely and totally irresponsible with this platform and allowing misinformation to originate and spread across its website just completely un like unfiltered. Just It's just out there and it's spread and spread and spread and Facebook really didn't do much to curb it until far too late and even now despite the fact that they have fact checking on still so much gets you know yeah, through because the big thing about facebook is that people will trust anything that people they know are spreading yeah because 
um, I'm not familiar with any of the misinfo that happens on Facebook, but let's just say, for example, somebody says that the uh, the vaccine is only 70% effective. Yeah. And that spreads. And so people are now under the opinion, even though it's completely illogical, that it's not even worth it because there's still 30, there's still a supposed 30% chance of getting the vaccine, which, or getting the virus after being vaccinated, which people who keep up with the data know that. That's even patently with, false. Even with the Delta variant, most vaccines are still above 90%. Yes. Um, also, this is your obligatory um, warning. Please, please, please get vaccinated if you haven't already. And if you have been vaccinated, please get the booster shot. I beg of you, is to only help us and the world move forward from this virus as it is currently devastating everyone. It devastates people on an individual level, and it devastates people on a systemic level. And we really need to get past this virus. So I beg of you, please, if you haven't been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. And if you have been vaccinated, please get the booster shot. And this doesn't even get said enough, but please make sure the people around you that you know that don't get va- that haven't gotten vaccinated, make sure that you uh, give them the information so that way they understand how important this vaccine is. Just because we, this needs to be said, owning people with facts will not convince these people. Yeah. You have to show compassion that you care about these people because at the end of the day, they do think differently from us, but that doesn't lessen the impact that the virus has on all of us as a population. And if worse comes to worse, and there are loved ones that you have that do not want to get the vaccine despite anything you say, you may have to draw the line in the sand and say, um, if you don't get it, then I'm just not going to be around you. And say, if it's family members and you have children, you would also extend that to your children. Say it's, if you're a parent and your parents, so your children's grandparents don't want to get the vaccine, you can just draw the line in the sand. It's like, I love you, mom and dad, but me nor my children will be visiting you until you get vaccinated because it is a safety risk. And that is definitely a bit brutal but i think it's a bit necessary if you've exhausted all your options when your loved ones aren't listening because it it's definitely it's definitely needed to get vaccinated yeah i mean the virus will only get worse and i can only imagine what a world would be like where we have a forever like covid variants like the flu except covid is much more viral yeah, let's. Um, this was a good uh, PSA. Re- good PSA for our audience, but let's go ahead and get back on topic because all of that did need to be uh, mentioned because the vaccine misinfo is is its own virus in and of itself. Yeah, and but combating to... both the um, online online in quotations virus and the um, the vi- the COVID virus itself. Yeah, Facebook making it just much harder to combat this is really it's beyond frustrating. It makes you feel helpless. Yeah. Because you are equipped with all of these like data and statistics and people around you will reject it. Yeah. So I wanted to actually circle back to um, when you brought up about how Facebook misinformation spreads. The biggest way it spreads is how um so say you're in a small town and 
Johnny, the the hardware store owner, he sees something on Facebook that says like the COVID vaccine is whatever. I don't even want to create a hypothetical fake thing lest it spread. Let, let's let's use the one we used before with the seventy percent. Yeah, I, I don't even feel comfortable using that. I just Johnny sees something that's COVID misinformation, whatever it may be, and he he sends it out not maliciously. Maybe because he sees it from a Facebook group that he's in, and he thinks, "Oh my God! Like if this is true, I should. I'll just send it out, spread awareness." And then let's say that Susan, who is a teacher in the same town, she sees Johnny post that on Facebook, and she's like, "Oh wow, is this true? I mean, Johnny posted it on here, and I respect Johnny. I think Johnny's a pretty like." smart, well-intentioned guy. If this is true, then I should, and he's spreading awareness about it, I should probably spread awareness about it too. And so Susan sends it. And then Sue Dale sees it, and David sees it, and Sarah sees it, and so on and so forth. And that's how it really spreads, is it spreads because people that you trust to be normal, well-meaning, upstanding individuals that you don't think would ever be susceptible to propaganda are saying it, so it makes you more likely to believe it. Especially Because yeah, when it's people that you know online, you don't initially take them in bad faith because like, it probably wasn't that, them who uh, found it, or not found it, them who made the info and found the research themselves. That's just data that they've got. well data in quotation marks yeah. but it's stuff that they've found online and now we're passing it to them so why would i doubt them if i know them and could trust them because it could be something we talk about when we get together for the family barbecue or something yeah and that's it's really sad because it's taking one of the most baseline ways of how Facebook was even meant to be used and it's just being completely perverted. Because I mean the concept of people in a town that all know each other being able to share the same information with each other on the same platform and then being able to send that information to family members that don't live in that town but live in another city, country, state, continent like it's even like it's supposed to be a great thing but now we're seeing the problem with it we're now seeing how perverted it can become when misinformation is a thing that gets sent across the world and it comes from at most of the time well-meaning well-intentioned people who are just scared they are, they don't know what's going on because maybe i mean some people not some a lot of people get their news from social media nowadays. They don't sit down and they don't watch like, they, like sit down and watch the television. They get their news from like Facebook or Twitter or they'll watch YouTube videos about it. And so, with that happening, they're scared. They yeah. see what they see things that normally tell them news that they think is correct, telling them all these horrifying things, and they're scared and they're like, "Oh my God!" Like. This is terrible. Like, we're being lied to? Like, I need to tell everyone. Yeah. And unfortunately, it spreads. And because... it's also because Facebook feeds off of the, um, the, the accelerated emotions of the users that engage with their website. Yeah. Because the more that people use the website, the more revenue that they get in the long run. So the fact that 
that people are getting so emotional is pretty much their business model. Yeah, and the other thing about it is that even if someone was to retract that information, even if the original poster of the misinformation said, wait, guys, I was I was mistaken. This is incorrect information. It's already too late. It's like already mo- spread everywhere. Like most people won't go back and fact check it at all. They'll just hear the information and take it as fact. Because, like I said, even if the person in the original Facebook group that Johnny is in posts a follow-up and says, oh my god, this was wrong. Johnny may realize it's wrong if he may post it. But, you know, Henry, all the way in Cincinnati, who saw it from his daughter that lives three cities away from where Johnny is, he doesn't know that. But he saw the information that Johnny first re- that Johnny first spread. So that makes it even worse. Because even when the people that unknowingly spread the information try to retract it, it doesn't reach the same people that the misinformation reached. And so that just makes it worse because it doesn't fuel the algorithm in the same way. Yeah. And so So, it's really sad. But anyways, I'm continuing with the Facebook papers. Yeah, the other... um, One of the other articles that I read up on before the stream was... um, um, in regards to the Facebook papers, was how um, every how everything following up the um, George Floyd incident yeah. that happened uh, last summer was a lot of the uh, hate that uh, was going through most social media sites could have undeniably be traced back to Trump's uh, tweet calling uh, people out there protesting. Uh, thugs and a disgrace to the name of George Floyd. Yes. And in case anyone watching has forgotten, yes, he did tweet that. And when I first, because I wasn't hyper engaged with politics at the time of him tweeting out, but when I first read it, I was, I felt a pit in my stomach first watching that or reading that because I didn't think this was real. I mean, yeah, it's. It's just inflammatory rhetoric that's supposed to sell division, and unfortunately, when that division breeds action, it becomes something called stochastic terrorism. Because it wasn't even anything, like, racist. It was because I've already lived and seen everything that's happened since last year. Hmm. I know what that language causes, and that's what made me feel really awful about it reading what he posts on Twitter and on Facebook. Yeah. I mean, it. this stuff influences real-life events. Like, people die as a result of not, this not, misinformation. Not to say that Trump isn't racist. He absolutely is. But, oh, yeah. Because, like, the, what I'm saying is, like, the tweet wasn't, like, the, really that. The, the tweet in and of itself was not racist, but the language that was used inspires racism. Mm-hmm. Like, when he uses the term thug, Thug is a thug is usually associated with black male criminals within because it, it's a city. It's a dog whistle that's used all the time by politicians, by Fox News. No, I would say not even by Fox News. I no, mean, I, I, I've, I've heard them say it. No, no, no. When I mean not by Fox News, I mean not just Fox News. I mean, if you prior to really prior to like 2015, almost all news. Almost all news agencies use thug as a dog whistle or used it ubiquitously 
about describing black individuals. I mean, I remember when, uh, what was it? The Malice in the Palace, which was a massive fight that took place in a basketball game between the Indiana Pacers and the Detroit, um, why am I blanking on the name? Uh, Indiana Pacers and I think it was a Detroit team, but either way, when describing the players defending themselves from fans that were clearly trying to assault them and trying to attack them, the players were labeled as thugs. And that is just far from the truth. They are just, they were just people defending themselves. I mean, it all started because a fan threw a drink at a player as he was, um, as he was by the stands. But the fact that they used the term thug completely villainized them to the point where it ruined a lot of their careers. So that just goes to show that the use of the word thug by the president of all people can incite a lot of ugly images in people's head, and those ugly images can lead to violence. Yeah. And then when I mentioned the fact that it was undeniable that his language caused all the hate. There, it was actually from an internal internal study at Facebook that was able to identify this. And like I said two weeks ago, them doing nothing about all the hate that's spewing and all the misinfo is just it's it's hard to put into words. But I, it feels like so hopeless because you want to combat this hatred and this misinfo, and sometimes you are kind of powerless to stop it. Yeah, I mean, we saw what happened earlier this year with the January 6th insurrection, which is probably, in American history, probably one of the best examples of what stochastic terrorism is, which is a leader posturing and advocating for violence, and then his followers going through with said violence. And as we know, January 6th insurrection was partially planned on Facebook. Yeah, many of the organizers and, were on Parler, Gab, but also Facebook, and Facebook had a lot of people organizing on there. Yeah, it's because this is a follow up to what we talked about two weeks ago. It's just a lot. We've been sitting up on a lot of information for a while, and so all of it compounding at once is very overwhelming. Yeah. So it's a very difficult topic to address because. We're seeing it, everything happening online impact everything in real life, and it's it's a lot to process. Yeah, it really is. But at the core of this, we see the complete and total irresponsibility by Facebook to manage the misinformation and the hatred that's being spread on its platform. The complete and total unwillingness to not police itself because... If poli because policing themselves cuts in profit. And I think that's incredibly sad. And I also think it's incredibly evil. Yeah. I think it's evil that you would let such harmful and destructive language propagate on your platform and you do nothing about it while knowing just how much damage you are doing with it, knowing that people are dying whether they die from violence or they die from the virus, or maybe they die from violence by people who believe that that is a way to stop the virus. 
it's terrible. Yeah. And I think it's legitimately evil. I think that the people in charge of Facebook are terrible people. And I don't think it's a... I do not think it's an overstatement to say that these people are legitimately profiting off of evil being spread. Yeah. Well, I do want to move on to our next topic here, but I do want to preface it because initially, upon hearing about it, this story does want to make you laugh because of how ridiculous it is. But at the same time, can be very scary because of the consequences that could come from this. And uh, what we're referring to is uh, Trump establishing a new social media outlet called uh, Truth Social. Yeah. So we've all kind of known for a little while now that Trump was looking to create his own social media platform, especially after he was taken off of most of the mainstream um the mainstream social media outlets following the January 6th insurrection. He was banned and barred from many of social media outlets. So we kind of heard that he was planning on creating his own social media. And this was the demand for this was created even higher after um, um, social media outlets like Gab and Parler were taken off app stores. Because if, if you'll remember, they, um, I'm sorry, Trump, even created his own little blog where he would shoot out fake tweets or when i say fake i mean like he wanted to post a tweet but he can't yeah and so he would just put out these blogs where he would address the citizens of the united states in these small little snippets what and then that ended up collapsing in on itself so and then he's even because you and i both saw the um, announcement uh, post that was made for this uh this outlet, yeah. where I believe it quoted him as the chair. Yes, he is. So Truth Social is going to be a social media app, but it also is, like Facebook, obviously going to be an organization, a corporation. Yeah. And Donald Trump is going to be the chair of that. So he think of him in the vein of someone like Mark Zuckerberg being like on the chair for uh, Facebook. Yeah, and I, I want to repeat this because at first glance, this story is funny. Because, I mean, the when they advertised it, the subtitle under the um, the App Store-like image that they had where, like, you can download it is, like, follow the truth. Which is, which is like, in, it, in and of itself very funny, but you do, like, you think about it and let it settle in your head after everything we've learned from the Facebook papers and the Facebook files is that this could be very dangerous. Yeah, I mean... We know there's going to be a profit motive because Trump has stated that it is going to be a on-demand um, service with shows, podcasts, videos, and written posts, and it you're gonna be able you're gonna pay for those services, which means there's a profit motive. And I Meaning, believe it, I believe in the post that it stated they had an immense budget for this. Yeah, meaning that. We may see it happen all over again, except this time, it's going to be people that are the most radical, hyping themselves up over and over, whipping themselves into a frenzy with a bunch of misinformation now completely and totally sanctioned in a platform under the former president. Because there's no way this is getting regulated in any sense of the word. Yeah, it, it well, I mean... 
Gab and Parler were one thing, but this has real backing behind a powerful individual. And like we said, the January 6th insurrection was started on social media sites like Gab and Parler, which are right-wing um, social media outlets that really had the most radical of the radical being able to whip each other up into a frenzy. Because Mostly because they marketed themselves as like the haven for the First Amendment free speech. Yeah, but now that Trump is getting into this arena, the ball game is about to get a lot more dangerous. I mean, we could potentially see far worse things come out of it. Yeah. Especially if he does intend to run for 2024, which, oh god, I cannot imagine a presidential election with his own social media like outlet being able to run wall-to-wall -wall propaganda to his fans, whipping them up even more. Yeah, best case scenario happens is he doesn't run based off of the success of this, and then the entirety of the base on there gets whipped up into some sort of frenzy to the point where this gets banned off of any app store after the next election yeah but that's that's the best thing that could happen because this if this does come to fruition because some of these like first amendment social media sites have been nothing but failures from this point because i mean parlor got taken down how many times at this point I think it's been like two or three times. Yeah, just the the idea that this could be in any way successful is entirely frightening. Yeah, especially because Donald Trump is a powerful person. He has allies, both politically and business-wise, meaning that this could receive a sizable backing from some powerful individuals, not just based in the United States, but based in other countries, meaning that it may be able to become maybe able to sustain itself yeah. and the worst the worst part is potential for its international reach yeah as right as, as revealed in the facebook files is that even like even though facebook had its filters that could recognize it um anti-vaccine and election misinformation and just not respond to it it turns out that in other languages they couldn't even catch anything yeah, this was also brought up in the John Oliver segment about Facebook misinformation, where um, there was misinformation being spread in Vietnamese, and Facebook just couldn't even pick it up because it doesn't recognize misinformation in the Vietnamese language. And Trump is an international figure who definitely has allies everywhere in multiple countries, so I can only imagine what type of rhetoric could be spread within other countries and how that may affect their political systems because like Frances Haugen mentioned it when um she blew the whistle and talked to 60 Minutes politicians in other countries have forced themselves to move in more radical directions to keep up with the misinformation spread by Facebook now imagine Donald Trump's social media outlet whipping up that same frenzy now you're having another app with potentially the with potentially the ability to gain gain a reasonable foothold in social in the social media zeitgeist and now it could get even worse because the people that are going to be on this site initially are going to be the most radical people the ones that are definitely looking to convert people and organize right and that is going to be a terrifying site. I mean, when the alt-right had Charlottesville happen, 
it was terrifying. And mind you, the aftermath of it destroyed the alt-right movement as we knew it then. The modern, what we would consider alt-right movement is something, in my opinion, that rose from the ashes of that destroyed movement. But the, the mechanisms that led to that could very much be remade within this Trump social media app. Yeah. Yeah. This just needed to be said because I do see a lot of people laughing about it from a distance, but I do feel like there's a responsibility to warn people that this is a this could be a real thing that ends up taking off and we just need to be careful because this is very dangerous. And I can only imagine what happens if right-wing demagogues such as Ben Shapiro, Steven Crowder, um, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, like if they start to like if they start digging their fingers in there and shuffling their fans over into that area, it could become a lot worse. Especially because it's going to be outside of because like Facebook is still kind of pushing it within being mainstream because of how like right centric the uh, their um engagement is mm -hmm. but this will be completely out of the mainstream yeah this will be its own little isolated island in the entirety of the social media sphere and also because of the fact that there's going to be like videos and programming that could be put on there like you could have things like daily wire movies like run hide fight or the project that um, they're working with gina carano on that could debut on this platform and it could I mean, it could start doing, like, they could be an entire market now of creating just right-wing propaganda-like media for this app. Yeah. And since it would only be viewed within its own purview of the right-wing viewers within it, there'd be no way of, you know, uh, like, no way of really debunking this thing in the marketplace of ideas if it's something that's insulated to this area. Yeah. It's kind of... In a way, it's kind of like how a lot of rumors and misinformation originate on places like 4chan back in uh, the ye old days, and how um, people really couldn't like understand where it was all coming from because Facebook was considered, like, not Facebook, sorry, 4chan was considered its own little island in the internet. This could be a modern-day look at that. And, I mean, speaking of 4chan, I mean... The image board websites, they most definitely will flock to, the people of the image board websites will flock to this social media app as well as a lot of right wing, a lot of far, like a lot of right wing radical like ideology and conspiracies originate on places like 4chan and 8chan. And I can only imagine what happens if they all start to coalesce on a singular platform bankrolled by a very powerful individual. Yeah. It is it is a terrifying sight, and not to be all, like, doom and gloom, like, this is the end, like, no, it's, it's not necessarily the end, doesn't necessarily mean that we will see violence, there's no guarantee that this will even succeed, there's no guarantee that there, that this could even go past the initial, like, you know, announcement phase, for all we know, this is just a giant publicity stunt. Yeah. But the Over idea of it potentially happening is one that we should be aware of and one that we should definitely be vigilant about its harm. 
Yeah. Overall, I know the mood of this past segment has been a little bit uh, on the lower side, but overall it is important to stay optimistic because the last thing that our movement needs is for people to feel powerless because ultimately we can um, power through all of this. Yeah, I mean, if this social media app does come to fruition, the best we can do, especially if the misinformation comes out just as strong as it does on Facebook, is report the app on app stores, try to get in contact with as many individuals that you can get to, not just ordinary people, but like ones in positions of power where you can report these things. Please do. If you see calls for violence on any social media um, apparatus, please call. Um, please call your local, like, FBI, intelligence agency, whatever, to report violence that could be spread because who knows yeah. what could happen. Yeah, I definitely need a few minutes after stream to cal to calm down and re-optimize myself because this was a bit of a yeah this was a bit of a low topic and yeah this was a the past three have been a bit of heavy topics and it's kind of it kind of sucks to end the stream on a downer note but I mean. Sometimes that's just, that's how the world is. Ultimately, it is important that this information is out there and is known, because without it, we are really powerless to to advocate for the things that we believe in at the yeah. end of the day. I mean, we always have this, uh, like, we always have the power to make to make change, but that that change could go in any direction. Right. So it's really up to us to really push for the change that we want to see and for us personally we want to see a world that is equal that is fair where there is no unfair unjust hierarchies no unfair social constructs that you know impede on people's freedoms you know things like that yeah. like gender equality racial equality sexual equality workers rights I mean, I'll go as far as to say, I mean, for me personally, the abolition of capitalism, I know <laughs> you haven't gotten full, yeah, I know you haven't fully gotten on board with that, but... We, we, we can still accomplish ethical capitalism, I still believe it's possible. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. And the unicorns, and the tooth fairy, and Santa Claus exist as well. Don't you dare demean me like that. I'm only... You're only slightly to the left of me. You're literally one tier left of me. Don't even, don't even start with that. It's, a, I mean, one tier left. I mean, a tier difference is the difference between Aegis and Cloud. So, uh, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, I think we're gonna sign off for the night, right? Yeah, we definitely want to take the rest of the night to to perk back up after a few uh, downer segments, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, this has been the Worldwide Wednesday Podcast. I'm Shiny. And I'm Sovereign. And um, yeah, this is the end of episode four. Thanks for watching. Um, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Worldwide Wednesday. Um, follow the... Follow the Twitch account at, Shiny at the Shiny Sovereign Show. And please... Like, comment, subscribe, 
follow, retweet, share social media, share all of it so we can grow as a community. And yeah, so yep. we can just keep making more episodes and talking more and more about entertainment, politics, and the sort. Yeah, we've actually seen a doubling of our subscriber base on our YouTube channel in the past week alone, which is honestly stunning. Yeah, you guys have been doing amazing, and it's been really great just seeing the growth and seeing how much love you guys are putting into it. So I would love to see it continue and just grow. Yep. Well, this is us signing off for now. Have a good night, and we will see you next week at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Yep. Good night, everyone.